So what we all know is that there's a lot going on in the world. And the other thing is that never before have, has the average person been so aware of everything going on. Just to give you some context for what I mean by that, there's a lot going on and never have we been so aware of it. Just think about what life must have been like 100 years ago. And I actually did a little bit of research to see like timeline, like when everything happened. Did you know that most American homes did not have a radio until about 100 years ago? What did they do? You know, you got your house. What do you do? Just eat and sleep there? Apparently. Um, the, they had no antenna to the outdoor world. The, the only thing they could do is like go out their front door and talk to people. And they would have these public gatherings, maybe these community spaces where they would hear what was going on and as a community decide what they can do about it. Just 100 years ago, that that blew my mind. It was only 100 years ago that most American homes did not even have a radio. And then uh, most American homes did not have a telephone until about 80 years ago. Now, in case you're younger, these used to be things that hung on the wall and you'd have to pick up the receiver and dial numbers into it and talk to people far away. And again, up until about 80 years ago, what did you do to communicate with people? You got out a piece of paper and a pen and you wrote in cursive and you put it in an envelope and you mailed it away and it would take a few days to a week to arrive. We're a lot more aware now of things that happen through phone calls, through text messages. Well, one other thing, or a couple of other things. Most American homes did not have a television until about 70 years ago. So if you're 80 years old, Man, you grew up in a world where most people didn't have TVs, which just blows our mind because now how many are in your house on the average American house? A lot more than zero. And then one last one. This one really blew my mind because it makes me feel really old. Most American homes did not have a computer until about 20 years ago. 20 years ago. And then it was about 19 years ago that we were all introduced to this wonderful thing called America Online, where you could plug your f- computer into a phone jack and it would make these weird noises with the modem and, welcome, you've got mail. And it was this amazing experience, but how far have we come since then? To be in a world where you don't need the radio anymore, you don't need the television, you don't even need your computer or your telephone because you've got a mobile computer that can tell you what's happening in Novosibirsk, Russia at any given moment. You have awareness on a global scale of all the suffering, war, tragedy, and injustices at any given moment. And every day, thousands, if not millions, of stories are being generated, stories that are designed to share with you a need in the world and how you need to help. But something I learned early on in my life as I was watching a commercial about poor children orphaned in a foreign country who were malnourished, one thing I quickly learned is that even just because something is moving doesn't mean you have to move on it. In fact, you cannot allow everything that's moving to move you. I can't tell you how many appeals I get in the mail to support certain organizations in certain, certain places. And I used to feel really guilty when I got those envelopes and I opened them up and I read them. I'm like, oh, I don't want to. And I quietly threw it away. There's that guilt of, should I have done something? Should I be doing more? 
but we can't allow everything that's moving to move you. And so where we've come as a society, and this is true especially of the younger generations, younger generations are known for what they're not doing. There's a scene in a recent Tom Hanks film where he's at the railroad tracks in a very dark place, and he sees this person accidentally fall over into the tracks. And what does everyone in the crowd do? They get out their phones and they start video recording, and he's like, what are you guys doing? And he alone gets down and helps the person out. That's kind of where we've landed. We're no longer moved to do even the things that we should. And that is called apathy. So if you're just joining us, today is part three of a series called Rumble Strips, where we are looking at dangerous things that we can fall into with two goals. One, we want to set up some rumble strips to avoid going there. And two, we want to see what God does to pull people out. Now, if, if you're new, what rumble strips are, there's those, they're the graded areas along the side of the road that kind of warn you when you're getting too close. It'll make this loud, loud rumble noise. And I just learned that those are scientifically engineered, designed uh, to create a frequency that makes your wife yell at you. So it's not her fault. It's, it's just the way, the way it is. So rumble strips warn us before we reach danger. They warn us that danger is coming soon. And so what I want to give you today is something from, from the Bible that's going to do two things at the same time. What we're going to see, we're going to see some warning signs that you're headed toward apathy, like stop. And then we're also going to see what God does to pull people out of it. And just for the sake of a definition, apathy is the refusal to be moved by what should move you. There are some things that God has handed to you as an individual, and he says, I want you to take care of this. But apathy will say, eh, it doesn't really matter. Ah, that's too hard. I don't know if I'm the right person for this. Ah, there's probably someone better. And apathy will have you neglect what should move you to action. So out of love for the people around you and out of love for yourself, let's dig into this topic of apathy to see how God raises these rumble strips to warn you that you're headed there and also to see how God pulls you from that into a life of purpose and hope. The first thing to note is the unfortunate effect that apathy makes people immovable. We're not moved by things that should move us, and we're stuck doing nothing. Now, now here's some, by the way, here, here's just some signs that you might have already veered into apathy. And I, I, disclaimer, okay, slow down. Anything that I share in this sermon, in this message, is not f from things that I learned from counseling people in this church or other churches or anywhere. Anything I share in this message is just what I found in my own self. And I think it applies across the board. So I'm, I'm not targeting anyone. If, if you come up to me after this service and you said, why'd you tell everybody about me? Like, I didn't. I'm telling you about me. So here are some of the warning signs that maybe apathy is someplace that you've ended up. The first thing is this. If, if you've ever known of a friend or an acquaintance, a, a, acquaintance who had a very specific need, probably a small need, and you could have helped very easily, but you decided to stay at home and do nothing. You've probably veered into apathy. 
If you hear a story about a specific need or someone suffering, and your default is to be skeptical of every need that's in this world, and if you're cynical about the suffering that is apparently going on, you might have veered into apathy. If your zeal for God has cooled down to the point where you find it difficult to just sit and read his word or listen to his word, you might have veered into apathy. If God has laid on you a conviction that there's something in your life that needs to change, both for your good and for the people around you, but you just struggle to take a step to change it, you might have veered into apathy. So as we look at what we're about to look at, we've got some work to do. I've got some work to do. As we look at the, the way that apathy is not only bad for us, but it has this horrible impact on the people around us. And so we need God to raise up some rumble strips to warn us before we, we get there, but we also need him to rescue us from that dark, dark place. So we're going to look at Matthew 25, which is an interesting section because this is the week of Jesus' death, and he has a lot of teaching going on during this last week. Most of the Gospels are about that last week of his life and all the things that he taught and said. And one of the recurring themes is he's warning people against this apathy of doing nothing, just being content with what you have and not being driven to follow God or do what he asks. And so Jesus told this parable, and I'll I'll give you this disclaimer. This parable is just telling you an earthly story. It's about a a wealthy, successful businessman. So just in your head, picture a famous, wealthy, successful businessman, not necessarily a Christian, just someone who's really good at making money. And Jesus is going to give us this situation where he's like, this is what the world is like, but here's a spiritual truth to keep in mind. So as Jesus tells the story, he says this. He says again, because he's been talking about the kingdom of God for quite a while, he says again, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. And I'm just going to slow down. Um, How many hands do you have? Two, thank you. Most of you have two hands. So just picture this guy trying to hold five bags. Now, um, I do this all the time when my wife goes grocery shopping. Like, I try to impress her with how many bags I can hold at once. And I'm like, oh, yeah, look at this, baby. Um, but just picture this. Five, five bags, like maybe two for each hand. You could swing that. But having to carry five bags, he's just overloaded. So he gives one servant five bags of money. So just picture this. To another, he gave two bags, which makes sense. Two hands, all right, good to go. But to another one... Here, just one bag. And I'm sure as he received that one bag, he's like, I've got a free hand if you need anything. But he gave to each one according to his ability. This is important. This is going to come back later. Each one was given according to his ability. This master, this businessman, he, he knew how to make money. And so he was being wise with how he distributed his wealth before this journey. Here, you take five, you take two, and... All right, we'll see how you do it. You take one. Now, have you ever been the person with one? You're looking around and you see this, this other person. Oh, they've got all sorts of stuff that they've been entrusted with. And then you see the average person who's got just you know, a couple things. And then there's you. 
There's me. But he gives to each one according to their ability as he sees fit. And then he went on his journey. Now, one thing to keep in mind, again, this isn't in the parable, but this is just common sense. Usually the the person with five started with one a long time ago. And they grew. And they proved themselves trustworthy to the point where now they can have five. So just keep that in mind as you compare yourself, which you shouldn't do this, but if you compare yourself to the people around you and you say, well, I guess I'm not worth all that much. I guess I'm not as good as them. Just keep in mind that what you have today is an opportunity to grow in whatever God might give you in the future. So each one was given according to their ability for what they were able to do. The parable goes on. So the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. And gained five bags more. Um, If you're good with numbers, what kind of return is that? Is that a 100% return or a 200% return? I always get it mixed up. 100, okay, thank you. So we got some financial planners in the room. So it's a good return. A 100% return on the money. So also the one with two bags uh, gained two more. Again, a 100% return. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's Money. We're going to find out why pretty soon. You've been that one. I've been that one. And it's really hard when you see the other people around you entrusted with more, given more, doing more. And I've been that one where I'm holding my one and I see the guy with five go off and make five more. Wow. And I see the guy with two, the average person, go off and make two more. Wow. If my math is right, now we're at 14 to 1. And the question that always comes to mind is, well, I can't do that. And, and when you get into that place where you're beginning to wonder, do I make any difference at all? There's a really important question that you need to ask yourself. In fact, we're going to get three questions today to ask yourself when you're in the depths of apathy. The first question is this. Do you believe that a person like you can make a difference? When you're the one with the one, do you believe that a person like you can make a difference? And don't give me the answer that you would shout out at church. Give me the answer that you would be writing in your journal or in your whatever you write in if you write things down. What do you believe about yourself? Are you that kind of person that can make a difference? And if you answer yes, why? Is it because you're so good? You're so awesome? You've worked so hard? Maybe there's some truth to that. And if you answer no, why do you say no? Is it because you're comparing yourself to others and what they can do or comparing what you have to what they have? Why would you answer no? No matter how you answer, what's important is that we ask a follow-up question, which we'll get to in just a moment. But for now, we just need to ask that question. When you are in the throes of apathy, where you're not motivated to do anything and you don't feel like anything but doing nothing, do you believe that a person like you can make a difference? So the parable continues as Jesus finishes this story with this, these three men. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. To settle accounts means that you basically take the receipt of what did you take, and then we take full account of what did you bring in. So it's it's, uh, balancing the sheets in today's terms. 
The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Notice his emphasis. Right away, he says, Master, here's what you gave me. The emphasis is on what the master gave. The emphasis was not on the master and how great he is. The emphasis is not on the servant and how awesome he was. He said, here's what you gave me. And here's what I did with it. And then in response, the master said this. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Let's throw a party. And then right after this, the guy with two bags did the exact same thing. He came up to his master and said, Master, here's the two bags that you gave me. Here's the two bags more. And the reason I don't want to put this on the screen is because I want to, I want to compare what the master said to the first guy with what the master said to the second guy. So same thing, second guy comes up, here's the two bags you gave me, here's the two bags more, and then here's how the master responded to him in verse 23. The exact same. You see, we might think, oh, you know what? The first guy was just, wow, 10 bags of gold. The second guy only brought four bags of money or gold, whatever it was. And so we might think, okay, well, the excitement is greater for the guy who brought more, but the excitement was not based on the net outcome, the excitement was based on their faithfulness. And can you please just remember that? The goal is not the outcome. The goal is the faithfulness to whatever outcome you, you get at. The master is celebrating the faithfulness with whatever it was they had been given. And so the celebration was the same for the guy who had five and the guy who had two. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come share your master's happiness. Let's have a party. To those who have been faithful with some, they will be given more. And then if, if Jesus had been a, a director of a movie and if he had been you know, making this into a little commercial, he would have changed the soundtrack in this moment to an eerie tone because then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, now pay attention to where his emphasis is going to be. The first two people had their emphasis on what had been given them. But notice where his emphasis immediately goes. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I'm going to pause right there. What's he afraid of? What's he afraid that, what is he afraid is going to happen? Start, start trying to figure that out. What is he afraid of? What's, what's going to happen if, if he does something wrong? Just keep that in mind. I was afraid, and so I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here it is. He's dusting off all the dirt. Here it is, safe and sound. Everything you gave me returned. So what was he afraid of? Well, in his own words, he was afraid that this master was always looking for ways to get more. He was an ordinary businessman who was focused on getting, getting, getting. So he would pull some crops where he didn't plant any seeds. He was looking for more than just what he could do with his own wealth, but he was looking for ways to find loopholes to, 
take shortcuts. He was rich. He was good at what he did. That was perhaps the kind of guy he was. But that doesn't answer the question. What was this man afraid of? He was afraid that he wasn't enough. He was afraid that there was an expectation he couldn't live up to. We could probably go on with 10 other fears, but what was he really afraid of? It wasn't about the master. It was about himself. And so in the, in the aftermath, you know, he returns the one bag of money. Here you go. What you gave me is safe and sound. A little, little dirt, a little dust, but it's okay. And the master replies with this. You wicked, lazy, we could also add in there, apathetic servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received that back with interest. Everyone knows that when you have money, you can just put it on and put it with the bankers. You get back some interest. You should have done that if you know that I always like to get extra. But you just sat on it. You were just content to sit on what you had. Wicked. Lazy. And again, just keep in mind, this is like a secular story. This is just an everyday business affair. And Jesus is going to pull out of this a truth and a concept that's important for us to know today. But first, here's what happens last. So th- th- take the bag of gold from this person and give it to the one who has 10 bags. And then Jesus gives the principle that he's pulling from this everyday truth. He says, for whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that weeping and gnashing of teeth is a a, a way of thinking about regret, lost opportunity. Oh, why didn't I do things differently? This, This inner grinding of the heart. This regret. And it all happened because he was afraid of something. And so maybe I'll just ask you the question. What fear is holding you back? What are you really afraid of? And here's where we have to get careful because when it comes to the spiritual area of holding you back, the question is, well, where am I going? And the answer for that, all I can tell you is faithfulness. Whatever God has entrusted to you, He gave it to you for a reason. Whether it's five bags or two bags or one, he gave it to you for a reason. And when you are in the middle of apathy, you are doing nothing with it. So what are you afraid of? What's holding you back? Are you afraid that if you did something with it, people would scoff at you and say, oh, isn't that cute? He's got his one little bag and look, he's trying to do something with it while people with a hundred bags are doing all this stuff. Are you afraid that you'll be compared to other people and say, well, you're not as important as them? Is it some inner security? Or do you have this view of God where he's going to be so angry with you? And so maybe that view, that false view of him has been leading you someplace else. It goes deeper than this, though, because every fear we have is, is based on something deeper. And so maybe another way to ask it is, well, what excuse is holding you back? Because sometimes we, we don't want to call them fears. Well, it's just an excuse. Like, you know what? Yeah, God gave me this thing, but I've been really busy. Um, you know, 
kids. You know, you know work has been so full. I'll, I'll get to this later. But there's something even deeper than the excuse also. Whether it's a fear or an excuse that's holding you back, everything goes back to this one word that's so important to know. Number three, what lies are beneath them? What lies are holding you back? And again, here's where I will not dip into any counseling that I've done with any people. I'm just going to draw from the well of my own soul. Matt, what lies are holding you back? When God gives you something and you just resort to apathy and doing nothing, no drive, no motivation, what lies are you believing, Matt? And I would say something like this. I would say, I'm not the right person for this. Because I'm looking around me, God, and I see a dozen people who are way better at this than I am. So why should I even try? Maybe I should just give you back my bag and let someone else take care of it. I, I, I don't think I'm the right person. Or I'd say this, I, I, I definitely don't have the right gifts or abilities for this. You know, God, I know you've given me this responsibility, but again, I see so many other people out there with so much more talent and ability. Man, they're so good. I don't know if I can do this. And here's, here's the, the kicker, like the, the ultimate lie that will hold you into apathy with no way out. It's this, my apathy won't hurt anybody. Nobody will know if I just don't do anything. Nobody will be hurt if I just don't give it my all. My unfaithfulness doesn't make a difference. And as long as you believe that lie, sorry, as long as I believe that lie, you will stay stuck in apathy with no way out. And that's not a good place to be. So, do you believe that a person like you can make a difference? And if not, what lies have you been believing? And no matter what the lie is, maybe yours is a little bit different than mine, no matter what your lie might look like, we need to replace that with something that is true. And as much as we'd like to think about it, we, you know, sometimes I like to fake it, like, yeah, I don't believe I can do this, but I'll give it my best shot. That's not what God wants either. He doesn't want our apathy that's clothed in some sort of self-confidence. Uh, Romans 12, verse 9, love must be sincere. It's not something you can just fake. Love must be sincere. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And this is where the, the first hand is stretched out to someone who is just stuck in apathy. It's not about you, and it's not about the people around you. The invitation is this. Would you serve the Lord? Would you exercise faithfulness in what he has given to you, whatever he has entrusted you with, knowing that maybe the one thing that you do today will allow you to make an even bigger difference tomorrow? Would you serve him? Serve him. And then the night before he died, Jesus was talking to his disciples, trying to keep them in a place where they're on fire, where they're zealous. And he reminded them with this, and this is so important for us to hear too. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who loves me will be moved by what moves me. 
And so when you're stuck in apathy or when you're on, on that rumble strip headed off, the last thing you want to hear is something that's focused on you because it hurts. It's confrontational. But I'll be confrontational because this is what I need sometimes too. Number four, when you're stuck in apathy, this is the third question to ask yourself. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Are you moved by the things that move him? Is he your love? And I wouldn't dwell here too long because when you're really stuck in apathy, what happens is you often turn to your most previous behavior as proof of who you are. And you, so, so you look back and you're like, I've been doing nothing with what he's given me, so I guess the answer is no. I, I don't love him because that's how I've been living. So I guess I don't love him. And when you say that, now we're ready to give you some hope. When you come to a place and you're like, well, based on the way I've been living, I would guess, no, I don't love Jesus. I haven't been loving him. That's where I'm at. And when you say that, when I say that, there is that moment where hope can be delivered. Because here's the last question and the most important one. Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe he loves people like you? And my answer should be, well, he shouldn't. He should wait until I get my act in order and I start being faithful with what he's asked me to do and then he'll celebrate me and say, well done, good and faithful servant, let's have a party. But God does not operate like a successful businessman. God operates as a father, full of love and grace for the children who are his and you are his child. And if you're looking for proof of this, again, if, if you're just rock bottom and you're like, I have no drive, no motivation, I don't know where God is, I would point you to these familiar words from John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. There was no room for apathy in God's relationship with you. He could have taken a noncommittal stance and say, well, they've got what they've got, I've got what I've got. <laughs> And he could have not been moved to do anything, but instead his decision to love moved him to give his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have life and to give hope. And I love how John later in his account of Jesus' life, he almost brings another bookend to this because now that Jesus has been living in this world, this world that God loved for three years, um, I guess 33 years, because by the time he died, he was about 33 years old. At the end of his life, you might think, okay, has Jesus grown apathetic? Has he just given up because this mission of changing the world and saving the world is too much? But here's the cool thing that John adds later. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world that God loved and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Do you believe that Jesus loves you? He does. And his love to you changes everything. It means that he knows you. He forgives you. He understands your weaknesses. And sometimes he will give you a responsibility in your area of weakness so that you might find your strength in him. And sometimes it's the faithfulness in those weaknesses that makes us the strongest we've ever been. As we remember that our relationship with God is not about how we love him, but how he first loved us. So 
when you're stuck in apathy and you just got this one thing God has given you, thank him for that. Say, God, would you give me the strength to be faithful with what you've given? Not in comparison with what everyone else has or who they are, but as I reflect on who you are and what you've given. What you do with one can reflect what God did for everyone. Or I'll put it this way, what you do for one person, for one thing, can reflect what God did for everyone. So as you look at your life, some of you are on fire. You're full of passion. In fact, we might have another message someday where there's people who are on the opposite end of apathy. I think that's called pathetic. Is that pathetic or whatever? What is the opposite of apathy? Philopathy, yeah, passionate, maybe passionate. We'll talk about people who are just so filled, you care about too much, you're so spread thin. We'll talk about that another day. But for those, I think it's, it's more common in today's world that we see so many things out there, so many causes and so many things that can move us, we're just moved to paralysis to do nothing. So would you focus on the one thing God has given you? Be faithful, because he loves you. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, and in this world, we are living in a time where we are moved by so many different things going on in this world. There are so many things that we are aware of in our own communities, in our own country, and across the globe. And at sometimes it can be paralyzing because we have to decide to not be moved by certain things. But I pray that that would not just lead us to turn the entire switch off and to be stuck in apathy where we do nothing. So when we feel overwhelmed, would you maybe just focus us on one thing you've given us to do? It's not the most spectacular. It won't get everyone's attention and it might not change the world, but it will result in faithfulness to you. And so, in that way, you will make a difference. And when we find ourselves on that rumble strip, where we start to believe that we're not the kind of people who can make a difference, we start to believe lies of who we are and what we can do, would you send the truth of Jesus into our hearts to set us free and to make us strong, to look at the one thing we have and to do for one or to do with one in a way that reflects what you did for everyone. Thank you for the forgiveness that Jesus extends to us. Thank you that your love never fails. May we express the love that reflects that. We pray all these things in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.